When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the AccuWeather Podcast, Everything Under the Sun. I'm your host, meteorologist Regina Miller, and I'm joined in the studio, as always, by my producer, Andy Robb. Hi, Andy. Hello, Regina. How Hello. are you this good, week? Good, good. We're talking about forensics this week, which we love. It's always one of our favorite things to do. I, I think this is probably our third or fourth forensic show. And of course, joining us in the studio, we'll have them introduce themselves. They have been here before, and they are back once again. Who are A-team. That's right. (laughs) Steve Wistar. And Joe Sobel. Well, I've had the chance to talk to each of you separately on forensics cases, but this time I'm excited to have you both in the studio together to talk to me about some of your strangest cases. Tag team. Tag team. Tag team. (laughs) And I've already gotten kind of a little bit of an earful of what some of these uh, cases might be. But you know what? Before we get into these, let's start with this. How many combined years do the two of you have in doing forensics? Oh, it's probably getting pretty close to a hundred. Uh, <laughs> you, no, seriously, not, you're combined? not serious, really. Well, it's it probably two times thirty or thir- two times forty. Well, if you just say forensics, I Steve started in 1995. So, how many years is that ago? That's 24. Okay, in and I okay. probably started in 75, 1975. Oh wow! So wow, that's uh, what almost 45. So I've been in AccuWeather 43 years, but didn't do forensics the first 18 or whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. So you guys have had a lot of history. And so it was from that that I thought, well, let's draw on some of the, you know, we've done, we've done these forensics, um, um, podcast in the past where we talked about winter weather or different, you know, kinds of things like that. But I thought, let's look at some of the strangest cases you guys have ever had. So a quick glance at some of the cases that you suggested. So there was spontaneous combustion, <laughs> rogue waves, and cows, of all things. And I got this text from Andy, um, my producer, and he uh, was prepping me on this. And he said, cows, I'm intrigued in the text. So, uh, Dr. Joe, this was your case. It was. So can you tell me about when this was and what this was? goes back into uh, the 1970s. So this uh, would have been one of your early cases. Uh, it was. Yes, mm-hmm. it was. Uh, and it was back in the days when we were worried about global cooling. If you remember, well, you don't. Remember. I don't even remember. No, well, because I mean, I was a I was a kid, so I, you know, I've ever heard about was the global warming, global warming. Well, back in the 1970s, we had a couple of consecutive very cold and snowy winters okay. in the U.S., and this evolved a case out in the Dakotas, where uh, apparently um, uh, there are three uh, kind of stages of beef production or cattle raising. Okay. Uh, there's one, the suppliers who supply the ranchers the cattle. Then there's the ranchers who who uh, raise the cattle for a period of time, and then they send them on to the uh, processors okay. who process the, uh, the meat. Uh, and so this was a case where a supplier had supplied a rancher with several thousand head 
of cattle. And they get them typically in the fall, and, and then they put them out on the range for the winter. And then uh, the next spring, they would be uh, rounded up and brought uh, to a processor. Yeah. Okay. So this was in during one of the very nasty winters in the late 70s that um, of the thousands of, of cattle, of head of cattle that was supplied to the rancher, a very high percentage of them died. And the, ca- the farmer was blaming the supplier to have supplied him with either uh, d- d- sick mm-hmm. or just... Uh, Maybe genetically something was wrong with this. Uh, or they just weren't ready to be set out oh, uh, on okay. the range. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the the defense was that this was an extraordinarily extraordinarily cold winter, and that's the reason that the uh, uh, the fatality rate of the cattle of the cows was higher than it normally would have been. Typically, um, would they would these cows just be outside? Like, there's no shelter. Yeah, yep, they're just put out on the range, and uh, oh, okay, in uh, the Dakotas in the winter. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems a little rough. I presume they're given hay and uh, f- right, you know, f- right, food and that kind of a thing. But and warmers, uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah, <laughs> warmers, <laughs> yeah. Somebody needs to come up with those. So, so that would be a typical process of how they would be sent out on the range. Right. And so, right. this particular year, then you're called in to investigate later on about this case. So right. we were called in. Uh, I don't know five or uh, six years after because it takes the, a long time for the process, the legal process. Got to go there. through the system. Yeah. And so forth, and um, it's 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 the only cow case that I can think of that we've ever really been involved in. So it was kind of out there, kind of different. So you were called in, I'm assuming, to testify. I or? did not testify in this you case, but to. we did okay. prepare a report, and the the conclusions of the report was that this was an extraordinary extraordinarily cold winter, one that could not be anticipated in the general run of climate. Now, how the case turned out and who was held responsible, you know, those are kinds of things that very often we don't find out. Yeah. We present the facts as we determine them, and then they're argued by the lawyers, and and it goes from there. So I can't tell you which way this case went, but I can tell you it's probably the coldest winter that we've had since then. Oh wow! So that so there was like at least that argument was really stood stood firm yes. as far as as you were, you were concerned. Now, um, one of the other cases here that I thought was particularly crazy, and Steve, this was your case, was Rogue Waves, right? So tell me about that one. Yes, we got a call uh, one day from a Chicago attorney saying he represented some uh, people that were taken out in a fishing boat off Chicago into Lake Michigan to go fishing in late spring. And uh, the boat was sank by a rogue wave caused by a wake low. I say those things carefully because I hadn't really... Well, it's a little bit of a tongue twister for one thing. It's a bit of a tongue twister to begin with. And I had, am I hearing correctly? (laughs) Right. You know, uh, I had heard of a wake low as a meteorologist. It's a rare phenomena. I can explain it if you wish. Actually, I would, uh, I'd kind of like to know what that is because... And and then also the rogue wave question, like do rogue waves actually exist or is that just a mythical thing? And do they exist on Lake Michigan? So I had, I was filled with questions. (laughs) Right. Well, rogue waves... Waves. I was going to say because rogue waves. Um, this is a separate thing, but like I remember the song, the Edmund Fitzgerald. Because wasn't that like um, you know? That probably they, they the 
talked about it being about a rogue wave. So I just kind of always assumed that there was a pretty good argument in favor of those. But so tell me first about the wake low. Okay, so when you have a line of thunderstorms, with the line of thunderstorms comes a little bubble of high pressure. That's because uh, when the storm goes by, you feel the cold air. Cold air is heavier than warm air. So if you look at a detailed weather map, there'll be a little high pressure area. Then in the wake of that high pressure comes a little low pressure area behind the whole system that normally does nothing and no one would ever notice it unless you're a meteorologist very carefully watching your barometer fall a very small amount when the wake low comes by. But for reasons I'll never understand, um, one out of every 10,000 times that wake low separately becomes so strong that it can cause damaging winds and blow down trees and have wind gusts to 60 or 70 miles per hour. It's a very rare event. And it's very surprising at times because the storms have already gone through. The sky is brightened. The rain is over. You think everything's done. And then you get a 70 mile an hour wind gust. Right. Um, so on a, on a particular day, this particular day in northern Illinois, uh, there was a line of thunderstorms moving west to east. And behind it, an hour later was this wake low. Oh, it's that much later because I was assuming that it was maybe like 15, 20 minutes. So what happened in this case is uh, the fishing boats, the boaters, uh, the the initial line of storms went through. The weather service gave the all clear. uh, Out go the boats, go fishing. Um, And then this trailing wake low was blowing down trees across northern Illinois. And the weather service did a good job in this case of warning, putting out a marine warning like, you know, all the boats should get back to harbor because there's high winds coming. And um, and that indeed did happen. So as this system moved across, um, in this particular case, the captain was so intent on finding the perfect fishing spot that he never listened to the radio. And and so he had six paying customers on the boat, seven people total. Oh, wow. And they never heard the warning to return to port. And so they were a few miles offshore in the lake, and these very high winds came. And uh, one of the passengers, and I should say they all survived, but oh, good. one of the passengers okay. uh, had a lot of experience on the water and gave this amazing deposition with so much detail. So I learned that uh, when this storm came along, three big waves hit the boat. The first wave put a lot of water in the boat. The second wave completely filled the boat up with water. Wow. And the third big wave uh, when that rolled through, the boat sank out from under the seven people, and they were left floating in 47-degree w- Lake Michigan water wow. in uh, late spring with only some flotation cushions or something to hang on to, and um, they barely survived. They were there about 45 minutes in the water, and finally the Coast Guard helicopters wow. came and um, and plucked them out. And when, when they returned to shore, you know, they, they, they sued the heck out of the boat captain for <laughs> causing this. Or, you know, they barely survived. Right. And, um, and so meanwhile, uh, I'm working this case and I had to do all this research on rogue, uh, on rogue waves and wake lows. So I got some understanding of what a wake low was. And then the rogue wave question, uh, rogue wave, there is a. Was that presented by the defense for the captain was the rogue wave? Uh, that, the attorney who called us represented the plaintiffs, the passengers, oh, the, boat, okay. the paying customers, and that's what he said 
was what happened, a rogue right. wave caused by a wake load. It was a you know a very serious situation. Turned out that um, based on the testimony of that one passenger, the waves probably fell a little bit short of rogue waves. There is an actual definition, it's arbitrary, of what a rogue wave is. And it's uh, so first of all, you take all the wave heights and you um, look at the one third greatest wave heights and you average that together and get a number. And that's called the that's called the significant wave height. And then somebody decided this. You multiply that height by two point two. And if it's bigger than that, it's a rogue wave. So that's an arbitrary definition. Uh, It seems like on this particular day, the waves fell a little short of official rogue wave definition that hit this boat off of Chicago. It doesn't really matter. It's semantics, in my opinion. Right, because, I mean, it was still a big enough wave to take down that that boat. Absolutely. Right. And so I spent three or four weeks studying all this and getting all the information. And it was like a graduate level course in wake lows and rogue waves. And <laughs> I finally, bet. I walk into to the AccuWeather office like a month later. I'm ready to call the attorney in Chicago, brimming with all this knowledge. Right. And uh, that same morning, the attorney calls and says, stop all work. The case is settled. They've reached agreement. <laughs> there will be no further work needed. But we had done, I had done many hours of work. So we sent him a nice large bill. <laughs> I bet. And I was going to say. You'd be surprised how often that happens. It does happen. Does yeah. it really? Yeah. Like, it, are there other, other examples? Like when? Well, I was uh, just called uh, a month or so ago to testify in a matter in, uh, in the Philadelphia area, which is about a uh, four to five hour drive from State College. And, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I. I drove down there uh, with a couple of trainees and we all uh, went down and met the attorney and the attorney says, well, because of this and because of that, I've decided not to call you. Uh, have a nice trip back to State College. <laughs> so they pay for all that. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So that does happen. That's all part of it. Were, were there ever any cases where you're just like, because I said, these are kind of crazy cases, like who would ever think that you're doing something about cows and that type of thing? But was there any case where you're just like, this is ridiculous, or this is too crazy, or we're not going to take this? Has that ever happened? I'll let Steve answer that one. I don't remember. Uh, uh, I can't specifically remember right now a case we completely turned down. It seems like we usually have something to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are cases I know where I'll let the potential client know there's only so much we can do. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, if there's a, a highway accident in dense fog way out in some rural location far away from any weather observations, we might be able to be helpful to the extent that we can tell them, yes, in general, the conditions supported the development of fog, but there's no way we're going to be able to know the visibility in a patch of fog in an isolated intersection somewhere. The people who are actually there are going to be able to tell that better than we would from data from an airport 10 miles away. So there are times like that where I find myself telling a potential client, well, we can only go so far, we can only help you so much. But attorneys are really good at taking even, you know, some a little bit of information right. and creating, you know, spinning. Like you're, well, you're trying to create doubt or uh, you're trying to, yeah, yeah. Or just yeah. spin some storyline out of that. And so I find most times they'll go forward anyway uh, mm-hmm. and say, okay, well, we can get something out of that that's useful. There are cases like that, but there also are cases that are, are when we look at the weather, there are so obvious that the attorney that has contacted us has no case. Oh, 
And so you just, have to tell him, look. We have to tell him, look, this is what the weather is. Yeah. Um, if you proceed that... with this, you're probably going to lose. Well, the question is, how can this possibly help you? Yes. Uh, uh, it seems to us that all we could do is hurt you. Mm-hmm. And in that, that would be told verbally, preliminarily. And yeah. in that case, the attorney uh, would probably tell us, well, hey, that's very in- useful information for me to know. It's better for he or, he or she to learn that from us than on than during trial. And so he'll uh, he or she will thank us very much for our work. We'll send him an invoice and uh, <laughs> right. the file gets put away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You still provided them with the information they needed. Now, Steve, you were mentioning to me a little bit earlier on because I was talking about like, is there any like ridiculous case where you're just like, this is this is ridiculous. And you were talking to me about one that you had about ice. Yeah, there was one that just just makes you laugh. And this was a ice storm in eastern Pennsylvania. It was a storm in progress. There's freezing rain falling, which is rain that falls as liquid and then freezes into ice on all exposed surfaces. And so um, in the midst of the storm, there was a homeowner who felt that he needed to climb up on the eave of his roof and knock the ice off, I guess. It, it was- very easily could have been my husband. Because <laughs> 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 we've had that. That's the time he always notices the problems is in the midst of the storm. And I'm like, can you get off the tell ladder, him please? To do that. I'm going to tell him not to do that because I'm going to tell him Steve's story. But go ahead, Steve. Yeah, so this, this uh, you know, p- perhaps well-meaning homeowner grabs his ladder and puts it up from the ground up to the edge of his roof and climbs up to with something to knock the ice off. However, he put the ladder on the ground, which is covered in ice. So (laughs) after he's up on the ladder, the, the, the bottom of the ladder slides out from underneath him and he crashes to the ground. He's injured to some extent. And he decides to sue the ladder manufacturer. Oh, my God. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? But that's where we were having that conversation about people always feel somebody's responsible. Right. Uh, not themselves, but people always feel somebody's responsible. It must be the ladder company. <laughs> well, so they were claiming like the ladder was like defective or it <laughs> didn't, didn't have uh, support. Didn't underneath. have crampons yeah. on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Spikes. spikes. Maybe some like know? metal spikes or something I to mean, go uh, into it. Yeah, so we laugh, got a good laugh at that one, and um, I think the attorney who called us was the defense attorney, and I basically said, you know, the, it seems like these people are having a, you know, a prayer of a chance of winning this case, but, <laughs> right. but um, you know, we provided the information anyway, being right. helpful that we are, because <laughs> mm-hmm. it was probably pretty easy to, you know, to, to prove that there was, you know, ice on the ground during that time. <laughs> yeah, it was right. right in the middle of yeah. an ice storm. It wasn't like all parties agreed to that. Yeah, that, like I all mean, parties were like. Yeah, there was an ice storm in progress on that one. Yeah. So So another case that you guys mentioned was spontaneous combustion. And so it wasn't the Michael Jackson case. Remember that? (laughs) Do you remember that one where they, when his hair caught fire, wasn't, somebody help me out here. Ken, Andy, do you guys remember that? Yes, I I do. That's right. Wasn't there like an issue of spontaneous combustion? He was filming a Pepsi commercial. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, how did the, well, okay, Ken. He was shooting a music video at the time and it was for a a Pepsi commercial and it was the pyrotechnics. Right. uh, That he was, you know, they were filming because it was like a concert scene. Yes, and his hair caught on fire. His hair caught on fire, and somebody tried to say it was spontaneous. There was some. <laughs> I don't issue. remember that part you of know it. You know what? That may be in Regina's yeah, world. Yeah, I, I thought that, that there part. was something that somebody tried to make some, the argument that it was combust- some kind of spontaneous combustion More from likely the heat or something. Hair, <laughs> hair gel, hair gel <laughs> or hairspray. So, so anyway, that wasn't this case. But so, what was the spontaneous combustion case you guys had? 
Okay, so we were called by an attorney from uh, Canada, actually, Ontario somewhere. It was many years ago. I don't remember which side. But in this case, uh, it was a case, it was a farm, and someone was working the farm that didn't live on the farm. They lived like 10 or 15 miles away from the farm and then would drive to the farm and do the farm labor. And so it was a time of year where they had already cut the hay. They had put it into bundles, and they were it was sitting out in the field to dry. And uh, I learned through working on this case that you have to make sure the hay is dry before you put it in the barn, the next step. And so the people came and uh, it at, at where they lived that had not rained for days and days. So they thought, OK, good. The hay will be dry. And they went to the farm. They took the hay. They put it in the barn and it caught on fire. And so oh. there was a question of how did that happen? What happened? Uh, at first, I didn't even know if spontaneous combustion exists. But through this case, I learned, uh, first of all, that what happened was there was a lone thunderstorm that had moved over the farm. We tracked it on Doppler radar. It moved over the farm, doused the hay, and then moved on, but did not rain where the people lived. So oh. they didn't, they were not aware of the rain. So, but they went to the farm and they put the hay in. And so it was maybe a day or two later. So the hay had dried on the outside of the bundle of hay, but inside it was still quite wet. And so they put it in the barn. And what I learned was that the wet hay acts like compost. And if you have uh, compost really going strong, it makes a lot of heat. And so when conditions are just right and it gets hot enough on the inside of the hay bundle, but the outside has dried, meaning it can light you on got fire tinder. pretty easily, Ooh. then it can actually catch on fire. And that's what happened. And so you never want to put your hay in the barn till it's dry. Yeah. Like, who knew? I guess if you live on a grow up on a farm, which I did not, you might know that. But it was a surprise. Mm-hmm. To guess me. that's why they say make hay while the sun shines. <laughs> they do. That actually is the expression. And you know what? I grew up on a farm, oh. and so I remember that we had to have you know so many days of dry weather. You could not bale the hay because you're putting that in such a tight, tight bundle. Yes. And if it's wet in there, um, no, it's interesting. When Steve, when you brought up the fact that you were going to talk about uh, uh, spontaneous combustion, I thought because we had been involved in another similar case uh, years and years ago about corn in a silo. Oh, uh, is it? Does a similar too. thing happen? Yeah, it was a very, very similar circumstances, and uh, this was a case where corn uh, drying out and stored in a silo combusted. So oh. that's I didn't know that that could happen. Apparently, like ears. Tell me, was it ears of was it ears of corn? I don't know the answer yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you guys talking about some of these really unusual, crazy cases. And with all your years of experience, and I'm sure many more years working on these, there's going to be a lot more coming down the pipe in our litigious society. I'm sure there's going to be some more coming down. So thanks for taking some time to uh, talk to me today. Our pleasure. You bet. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode. And, you know, we'll be talking to him again. Yeah, Uh, yeah, we're we're already starting to plan it out. We're going to have a brand new forensics uh, episode coming out in the near future. Right. And now next week we've decided we're going to hit the road uh with lincoln riddle he's our travel vlogger he's been in the studio before talking about the great american road trip and next week we're looking for like a halloween road trip destination that's got great eerie kind of weather Mm -hmm. that would factor into it and he's got the perfect destination for us 
So we're going to find out all about some places where you can go for your Halloween. A hauntingly good time. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> so <laughs> tune in next week.